Welcome everybody to Slip Angle Show. We're in the new mobile Slip Angle studio, which is a palace on wheels. And I am joined by Ferris Khartoumi, a uh, recent person in the news, I guess, for everything related time attack. And uh, you just off a win at Pikes Peak International, yep. and you're here at Mid-Ohio. How did the weekend go today? Um, first, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, the weekend went great. It we uh, went out and did a couple laps, trying to get you know the feel for the track. Last year, I kind of had some issues, and you know, it was it was raining, and then it was just like nonstop problems with the car. So I never really had like some good laps at pace. Um, so I think second lap out, uh, we were you know dropped to 23 or something, and we were just you know right there with pace, which felt great. But I saw so much more time out there. Um, but yeah, I know the weekend went great and we ended up, you know, shaving time every single lap. And I think by the sixth lap, we, we got down to a 21. So it's funny that you say that because when we talk to, to race people, they almost refer to the team always as we, and I think it's important to describe <laughs> your situation this weekend. You're here by yourself yeah. and you're running an unlimited class car. And typically those cars require entire teams worth of people at the track to support and kind of work through issues throughout the weekend. Yeah. How was it doing it alone? I mean, I, I know uh, you've got tons of support back home, but yeah. you here on site were on your own. Yeah, back home, yeah, I got support by a lot of different companies, a lot of friends. Um, but yeah, when, typically when I go to the track, I'm normally by myself. I always say we, and I don't know why, because I refer to Everybody myself. Everybody does it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like myself in the car, I guess, is what I'm saying, we too. But uh, no, it's nothing new to me, really. It's like, you know, since I've been doing this, I've always been, you know, by myself. And recently, Alex and his crew are starting to, you know, tag along and help out. Um, but they run businesses and they can't be with me all the time. Yep. So, um, but even though I don't have the support here, uh, you know, Alex, he remoted in and checked over the car, made sure everything was looking good and, and healthy and allowed me to keep going, you know, without knowing that, um, hey, is the car hurt or are we going, running lean or anything like that? You know, it's kind of scary to keep pushing the car. Oh, sure. Um, so it's, it's vital for someone like him, you know, to be in my corner to, to look it over. But as far as the car's concerned and, and running it solo, um, you know, when the car's running good, it's running good. And I don't really have anything to do maintenance on. Um, I tend to change more of the way I drive than anything on the car. So okay. when, I, when I'm running out there and I'm, I'm feeling an issue or I'm, I'm feeling like, oh, this is wrong, or you know, I don't really like to blame the car because I feel like the driver can improve way more sure. than the car can. Sure. So I like to just go back and, and review video and just kind of you know, change things with the way I'm driving versus you know, start working on the car. Sure. Um, now, I had you on the show a couple of years ago. I uh, stopped in at your place in Dallas and... Uh, at that time, I think the car was still NA. Uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah. And so, uh, can can you describe the car as it's configured today, kind of front to back? Like, you know, what's the heart of it, and why did you choose choose to go this route? Yeah. So I think so. Back then, that was like my first year in Time Attack. Is when you came there. I was uh, just finished running with Altima. I ran the first year, I think, with Grid Life uh, at Road Atlanta. I remember. Yeah, and then. Um, so yeah, so that car was pretty much just you know like what Swenson's car uh, is uh, the ZR1, that, um, that four sixty eight. Yeah, so it was like a, pretty much an identical car to that, but without the sequential at the time. Um, so and so that I think that's an NA car about six hundred wheel horsepower. Yeah, mine was so. six hundred. And your car has historically been lightweight 
compared to a lot, I think. Um, yeah, it was it was lighter. It was like 27-ish. And then, um, you know, Jeremy actually got his lighter because when we went sequential the, the following year, he went with Samsonis and I went with PPG. And PPG's whole thing is it's supposed to hold a lot of power. So it's bigger, heavier, and it's oh, using sure. the factory gear case. And Samsonis is, is a lighter transmission. I think he shaved another 30 pounds just on transmission alone versus, sure. versus mine. Um, and so uh, he ended up getting lighter than me uh just based off you know transmission uh, just differential and then i guess zero one stuff is like carbon hood or, or carbon roof and just like random stuff here we ended up almost being a full hundred pounds lighter than me okay um and so anyway um so yeah that year it got the sequential we ran super lap um which was the very first event with the sequential and then garrett put up a, a prize for you know the winner gets a turbo um so i won that and then we had covid and so the car changed because I got a turbo from Superlap and Garrett, and we had all this downtime. So I had an engine that was already built because I eventually wanted to go boosted. Sure. And so in this, this two months of being down, I just you know built a turbo kit with the help of Alex's guys, uh, Adam at, at Price Performance, him and I. We spent every weekend, uh, I drove from Dallas to Houston, and you know there's nobody on the road i've made it in like two and a half hours every time it was crazy wow but um yeah so we just spent you know i think it was four or five weekends in a row yeah you were really busy yeah working um, on the car so uh, i'll start by asking uh, on the new motor what's the displacement and uh you know did you have to choose a compression ratio so that would allow you to run the kind of boost that uh that you want to run on track today so the the original engine that we built for the boost was uh very low it was nine to one. Okay. And um, we felt that it needed it lower because as we're on track, temps are going to rise. Sure. And that was probably going to play in our benefit. And in hindsight, I think it really did um, because last year I didn't have not one overheating issue. Okay. Now this year with the new engine, it's built by LME. It's their spec 2000 horsepower uh, package. Um, and we upped the compression to 10 and a half to one. Okay. Now there's been a mix of things that I've done differently. Uh, last year, I had separated the intercoolers, and the, there was one on either side of the car. Now yep. I have one giant intercooler in the center of the car. Yep. And so um, what, the reason why I did that was we had spikes of uh, IAT temps uh -huh. of 165. It's pretty hot. And average temps were 145. So it wasn't horrible, but at the end of a, a long straight, you we're, wouldn't, you we're shouldn't. Climbing. With yeah. that much airflow, you would hope that you would be close to closer to ambient. Yeah. And so what I. So after seeing that, we're like, okay, well, we're not having a cooling issue. Let's try to, you know, cool down the, the temps and the IATs. And so we went with a giant core from Garrett. And it's like a five and a half inch thick core Big. by 20-something inches wide. And it blocks the entire radiator. And so I rebuilt the car. I put uh, the Infinity Arrow on it off, off the winter. I, I did that intercooler setup, um, put the LME engine in it. It, it ran great on the dyno. Um, and so we were testing at g-speed on the track and i couldn't even make it a half lap okay like a half lap under anger the thing was already overheating coolant temps yeah and so we're i was like okay it's got to have air in the system or this and that and so i found some leaks you know that you know, just hose clamps weren't 100 percent tight sure and so we went back out same issue like non-stop same issue and so finally we're like it just can't handle it like it's being blocked so we threw a second radiator in the back of the car okay. to just up the capacity. And that's the only way right now it's able to make two laps without wow. overheating. So, well, um, What does it run at temperature when you're, when you're on, on pace? 
I mean, it, it'll run relatively cool. Um, it, it'll like 208s. Okay. So it'll stay in that range, then it'll start to climb. I think uh, yesterday when I did that, that first hot lap, then I did a cool down and then a hot lap. Um, I, it climbed the 230 at the very, very end, but the second I let off and, and just kind of started cruising, it came right back down to 220, which is like operating temp. Got it. So, um, so the, the help with that added fan and then, or added a radiator, then we put a fan on it as well as like a C7 brushless fan. There, there's awesome stock fans. Sure. Um, and we just have that turned up 100% in the rear and that's helping, but I don't think like it can't do three laps in a row right now. Got it. So I remember seeing it at Coda. You guys were still in process working on stuff, and it's a little bit scary um, from an event side to see, you know, a radiator inside the passenger compartment. Yeah, um, it's scary as a driver. Too. I, I have no <laughs> doubt. As as you've kind of uh, made things more safe and put shrouds and enclosed that, how do you get air out? of that area, right? I assume there are ducks in, but you've got a whole lot of pressure. How, where does it go in the car? Yeah, so there's no ducks in yet, but hopefully I'd start ducting in. Well, where does the air come from? It's just being, it's as of right now, it's just like out of capacity. Okay. So like some air, very, very little is getting in just from the windows being open. Okay. But we're relying on the fan and just the added capacity of, of the, the water in the radiator. Okay. Um, and it's not a permanent thing, you know, sure. it just was a thing. Hey, let's get through this event. Short term. Well, then we had an issue and then another issue and then, and then more just, events. Yeah. You've been really busy. Yeah. So it's going to get changed. I, I want it out of the car. I don't want it in the car. It's not a permanent thing for me, sure. but the way I got heat out was, um, all I did was I cut a hole in the back of the car okay. uh, and, and I just put, built like a shroud around it and just kind of like box it in. So like any heat radiating from behind it off the fans, it's just getting sent pushed out. out the hopefully. Back. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you're running now a pair. It's a really exotic looking setup, but I actually like it because it, parts of it are really simple. Yeah. So talk about the turbo kit. Uh, the turbo kit is, is really as simple as it can get. It's uh, LS three, um, exhaust manifolds off of a Corvette. And we use those because it's, you can find them anywhere and they're super cheap. And they're cast, um, And right? they're cast, yeah. And so it's a two-bolt flange, and it puts it far enough away from the engine where, like, traditionally with headers on a Corvette, it's a nightmare. Like, there, you can't reach any of the, the wires. You can't get the starter off. You can't do anything. And, and starters always are failing on Corvettes. Got um, it. I've probably failed two or three starters uh, since I've been running with you guys at the I track. remember recently, like... At an event not that long ago, we had to push start your car, or yeah, th that was James Houghton's car too. No, well, my car at Pikes Peak International Raceway last year, yeah. um, we had to push start it. So, and that was a, a starter failure. So, um, and then at, at Autobahn last year, there was another starter failure. So, it's just a thing. I don't know, but um, so anyway, the, the good thing about the two bolt flange um, on this factory uh, manifold is that it moves everything away from the engine block, where yep. I can access everything there, and so where I decided to mount the, the turbos, um, it's just one tube coming straight off of that flange and okay. it's going out. So literally you can just lay under the car and turbos, manifolds, everything can stay in place. You can drop the entire driveline in it and not have to take Is that like a, that a big V-band flange or is it a T3? Like it, how, what does that pipe look like? Um, so it's an, it goes from a two bolt flange down to uh, V-band uh, to the turbo. Okay. So and then the turbo itself is like braced and supported. And yeah. Kind of so held turbo is like it's triangled, uh, triangulated uh, mounts up top, and then I have like a uh, uh, 
kind of a support from keeping it from moving forward and back. Okay. So it, it has some movement to it in which you want um, because solid mount turbos tend to crack. Yeah, right. Uh, all the, you know, exhaust piping in. So uh, in which we've blown out a couple couplers, but with these smaller couplers we've had in now, um, we haven't really had those issues anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've never built a turbo kit. Yeah. It was something that was new to me, and I just was like, I want to put them here because I've seen people w- running turbo cars having nothing but issues and always having to access the turbo and pull off lines. And, yeah. you know, it, and so I was like, if I put it inside the car, I'm going to be punched over, you know, working on it well, all the it's, time. Well, it's an easy way to keep um, heat from or from getting under the hood. It's just don't, don't put the turbos under the hood. Yeah, uh, I mean, that is that too. I was thinking about it. Well, heat's always a thing you want to think about. But for me, I, mainly it was just ease of access. Like, I'm going to be at the track by myself. Do I really want to be burning my arms off, you know, working on something that's not even related to turbo? Yeah. And have that turbo just melting. My, Everything. My, yeah. yeah. So um, a lot of it was just like ease of access, like easy to work on, um, keeping keeping the heat out and... Um, I mean, I guess it just ended up working out, you know, yeah. the way it is, and it just sits there, and sitting pretty, and it's working. Yeah, so. it's it's really really cool looking. I mean, it 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 shoots really well for for Instagram and social media because it's it's very pretty and it's unique looking and it's it, it's very muscular. Yeah. Putting the turbos, you know, front and center. Uh, at the same time, it's it's a really intelligent approach to making sure that the car can run at the track. If you want to look at it that way, I like to look at it like I just made a lucky decision. But. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes looking good is more important than being good. But um, in this case, like part of your success is you do have or you have had the ability for a while to to consistently show up uh, to events in a car that's decently reliable and get a few opportunities. And I think at the unlimited level, that's rare um, because the cars historically that we've seen in the United States are are very high strung and they have driveline mechanical failures that you probably have had but you've you've overbuilt everything and so it's a little bit less of that yeah the good thing about the platform of the Corvette is it's just so much beefier I feel so it's meant to handle more of these these you know higher horsepower uh, and, and it's a sports car that was made to be driven on the track. So there's the product behind it that, you know, in the aftermarket world that they, that's already there and ready for you to, to get. You don't have to make anything custom or, or like, I mean, my driveline is literally just a drive shaft from Henson Motorsports who they make it for, you know, 2000 horsepower Corvettes. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, everything in the car is, is meant for it and it's easy to find. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, taking these incredibly fast Hondas um, and, and turning them up as, as high as they turn them up and try to make it reliable, it's a little bit more difficult. And so Certainly. I think it's just solely just relying on the platform that I've chose. Um, well, like just the, the physical dimensions of things are bigger, right? Like yeah. your transmission case is bigger it's and massive. it's heavier, but uh, at the same time, it means that you can put components inside that are more sturdy. Yeah. And I mean, we have the PPG sequential transmission in there and, and those gears, they're huge. Like they are massive gear sets. Like it's, it's, I don't even know the exact size of it, but when we compared it to the factory ones, I was like, Oh cow. Like, so, uh, we're here at mid Ohio and you're just about on your way out, but, um, you went really fast this weekend. Talked, uh, tell the listeners about your approach, how you, how you come to a place like this. I think you, you drove here a little bit last year, but last year was your first time, and you yeah. didn't have a great weekend. No. So, sucked. like, how do, you, how do you start learning a track right away at speed 
and uh, within six hot laps get to a point where you're feeling really good? Typically, the answer would be a sim, but I, I haven't had uh, any time to, to get on a sim at all lately. So um, I just kind of reviewed some video and I kind of you know knew the time I was after, which was James's time. Sorry, yeah. James, but you knew. <laughs> you knew that <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, you definitely knew. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I kind of just, I gauged it off that and I said, I hope I'm there as fast as possible. Like I need to be there. And we talked a little bit, like I need to be there immediately because yep. if I'm not, I'm not going to have the opportunity to, right. to surpass it. Um, and so, you know, I just did some siding laps. My very first lap was like a, in traffic, which I was late to grid and, uh, I got set up, set out in the very back. So I think I had to pass like seven cars, but I think it was good for me to do that because I didn't have open track right away yeah. to make those mistakes. Agreed. I was, ha I was, I got on the track having to pass people at slower speeds, but still able to sight it out. Yep. That way when I got my second lap, which was fairly open, um, I was like, okay, well now I know, you know, at least a slower minimum speed for these sure. turns. So, um, I think my second lap out, um, was the 23 seven and that was, uh, I think passing two cars. One of them was Jackie Ding, who saw me in advance, and he's like, "I wanted to just to drive the Tesla right off the road for you." <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it was just you know just sighting it and feeling it out as a driver. Um, turn one is is gnarly, scary. right? Scary. Yeah, like I'm entering at 146. So um, what's the min speed there? Four, uh, 94 was what I saw uh, min speed. So it oh, still wasn't as I'd, I'd like to raise that minimum speed, but it, dude, it it's so scary and intimidating going into put a wall it's yeah just, you just can't see it you're, you're turning in the bridge is on your left yeah and so um as as much runoff and grass there is to the right of it like being hard on throttle with a thousand horsepower you don't want to be in the grass like that's just a recipe so for disaster. uh i've i've ridden with um luke on track in his viper and done a little bit of stuff with swenson in the zr1 when he was autocrossing at ppir and the driving experience is really different because mm -hmm. i feel like the Every Corvette that I've been in, because I've been in Paul's a number of times as well, um, the rear end is always lively. Yeah. Um, it's The car is alive and is very, very fast. Yeah. And I kind of compare that to Luke's car, which was all absolutely not. Really? Um, his car was very planted. Um, they're both very fast, but the, the driving experience, I think, is a little bit different. How do you describe your car as it's configured right now? It's... I don't even know how to describe it. It's rowdy. I mean, it, it's it's scary. Um, the the TC fr does a lot of work, and I, I like to rely on it. It's just the faster approach. Um, it keeps the turbo spooled. Um, if I try to pedal it and just ease into throttle <clears throat> versus trying to be aggressively on throttle, it's going to take longer for those turbos to spool up. So um, I honestly think, as as intimidating as the car is, um, I have it set up well enough where that I feel anyone could jump in the car and feel comfortable driving it i might say that because i've been driving it for so long and you know it's just the way i feel in the car but i don't feel intimidated when i drive it and i feel like any other you know fast fast driver decently fast yeah. guy can get in my car and feel extremely comfortable because everything just works so well sure um but as far as the track you know um Turn one was 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 very intimidating. China Beach is intimidating. It's um, a heavy break zone. Yes, and you're uh, doing 170. Yeah, 170 in the China Beach, and I, I can improve on that if I just get better runs out of turn two. Like I, I have a hard time um, setting that turn up, and I I just. 
for me, I felt the approach was better to be tighter sure, than, instead than of diamond. Like diamond yeah. yeah, and I wanted to, but every time I came up to it, I'm like, this is a very slow corner. Like, why are you gonna add more distance to the corner? Just sure. try to keep it tight. And it's probably the wrong way of doing it, but um, you know, that's just part of, of the learning experience as a driver at any track. So um, as you're going 170 miles an hour on the back straight, I, I said on the stream a number of times that this track is relatively short. I mean, it's two and a quarter miles, but uh, the run from the keyhole to China Beach mm. uh, isn't actually that long, but for some reason it is unbelievably fast. Yeah, it's fast. Um, <laughs> where, where is your break point? Uh, Too early. I, I get scared, honestly. Like I'm, I left time on the table breaking into China, break, uh, turn one, um, and then a couple other turns as well that I feel like I could have just been more aggressive in. But I started breaking way before even the, the last markers. The last marker is five here? Or is it six? I, uh, it'd be like five, I think. But okay. it's literally before those first set of cones as you're coming up on it. Um, I was breaking there. And I go back and look at the at the video. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, get to the breaking points, you know? So uh, it, It's funny you say that, right? Because you're, you're watching a lot of video. But I, I've said about you on the stream a number of times that you're not really looking at data very much. No. And I know that in uh, events past, you had uh, a big, like, Android tablet up on your center console. Yeah. Is that still there? Is that, no. Is that, no, so, I took it out. So, so what are you doing to know if your lap is fast or not? Nothing? Nothing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so, like, I used to like that, and I could see, oh, yeah, you're on a faster lap, right? But I felt like it took away from my focus, and I felt like I was morally, like, solely looking for that. Like, I wasn't focusing on driving. I was always looking over to be like, am I running faster? Like sure. That. So um, taking that away now, it just allows me to focus more. And it also, every time, like, I'd run it, I would... I would look at the data and it told me how poorly I did pretty sure. much. Yeah. So, and I was like, okay, well just stop doing that. And you know, stop looking at what your predictive could be. Stop looking at what, how much faster you're going at the lap and just focus on the lap and, and drive it. And so that's what I've been doing. Um, and as I'm driving the car, you know, you know, Oh, you made that mistake. Like, okay, I ruined that turn or, or I can do have a better entry out of two or, you know, so I just like to make those mental notes and just pick a couple corners out every time I, I go. And I think it's working. I mean, obviously I could improve drastically by looking at data, but data likes to show me like how poorly I did. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, well, but on, especially, I think it's hard in video, but you know, if you're, if you're looking for reference points for, you know, when you touch on the brakes or if you're coasting before your brake zone, things yeah. like that, that shows up really easy in the data, but it might be a lot harder to spot in the video. It, it's, You've got sound, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure it's harder to spot, but I, I know after I drove, like, what I did. Okay. So, like, as I review the video, I'm mainly looking at, you know, how I approached it. Um, did I get to apex? When did I get on throttle? Um, and, you know, could I have taken a better line? And so I like to review that just, and I do it immediately. So it's like fresh in my mind right off the track. I know how I drove. And when I ran the, the 22 coming out of, uh, out of China Beach, um, I had a massive wobble. Um, I got on power too early as the front end was still pushing. And so that created the rear end to come around. Oh, sure. And then I had to correct it. So I literally went from apex to the outside edge of, of the track just in correcting the car. Got it. Um, and so when I got back and I reviewed that, I was like, yes. Now that's, I remember, I was like, I knew I had a mistake. I couldn't remember exactly where it was. And now I see how massive it was. So like on your next lap, don't do that. Right, <laughs> right, right. Correct your mistakes. And that 
I don't know if it was just that one fix or um, I also um, held it a little bit through the S's longer aggressively on throttle. But I really only made two adjustments in that last lap and uh, it dropped almost a full second. So so in the last uh, year, you've been really, really busy. Uh, I don't want to, uh, certainly we, we can't take credit for this, but uh, um, at Audubon last year, you kind of, that was one of the first big events that I think you had went to as configured. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Larry Chen was there and you got a feature in Hoonigan Autofocus. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know how many views it has today, but I know it has more than 100,000. It's like a lot of people have yeah. seen that car. No, yeah, Larry did some amazing work for me. And like, I'm so thankful for well, Larry. Yeah, and since then, you've just been all, all over the place. Like, you've been running events, but you've been doing other stuff as well yeah. um, and had a lot of success. Like, talk to me about the last year. The last year has been amazing. And honestly, like, yeah, Autobahn was the second event for the car in its configuration last year. Um, and I met Larry and he just fell in love with the car. He sent pictures of it to all of his buddies and they all were like, that thing's freaking awesome. And, um, yeah, he's, you know, that's kind of opened the door for me, uh, to do other really, really cool stuff. So, um, you know, this, this last year has been, been great. This year so far has been amazing. Um, you know, we have some really cool plans for next year as well. Uh, and you know, hopefully it just, continues you know okay it's had some great momentum right now so so uh actually you're in probably a number of uh private facebook chats with some fast people mm -hmm. and you set the record yesterday uh -huh. um but I, I i noticed that you were taking a little bit of heat because you were thinking about packing up yeah and uh <laughs> the group was actually able to con you going back in going back out and yeah you, you were able to improve james was like uh, if you're gonna beat it, <laughs> beat it by <laughs> like a lot more than that. He said a couple words that we're not gonna say, but he it was funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, at first it was like by eight, what was it, eight thousandths or eight hundredths or something? Eight, eight, I think it was eight hundredths. Okay, it was, yeah, and that's a win when is said, a win. But yeah, and that's when he said that, and I was like, well, calm down, man. It's like super greasy. It was my second lap on track, like you know, it's uh, it's gonna get improved. It's gonna get faster, and so. Um, yeah. So anyway, when I ran the 22, he was like, that's better. And then, but everybody else was still running their mouth. And I was like, guys, like I have some things to do on Wednesday that I can't hurt the car for. Like I came in here knowing I have some things to do, um, in California, uh, this, you know, leaving to California Wednesday for, to, you know, for stuff on Friday. And so I knew I needed to run fast, but I couldn't break the car because I don't have time to get back from here. Uh, and fix anything. And fix, yeah. Anything at all. Like it has to be in running condition. And so when I ran that 22 six um you know it was like almost a second on on the record and the car was still alive it wasn't broken nothing was wrong like i could still make it and and so anyway i was giving them my excuses of why i didn't want to go back out and they weren't having it and so they they pretty much shit talked me into going back well out. I, I think the the racetrack gods actually kind of smiled on you a little bit because a storm front was moving in, yeah. and the air temperature dropped way down, yep. and clouds came through, so the track temperature went down a little bit as well. And time attack A and B got what was essentially the perfect track. Yeah, it was. And C and D, it started to rain. And so I wasn't prepared to go out. And literally, this decision was made five minutes before. Like, you guys already made time attack A, you know, five-minute call. And I'm sitting there reviewing my video with Sean, and he's like, I'm like, look how bad this lap is. Like, look at this mistake. Look at it. He's like, Sean's like, 
yeah, dude, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Go back out there. I was like, God, you know, like I heard it from the chat. Sean's telling me right there on the spot. And like, I don't know. It was, I was trying to just preserve the car, but you like to leave knowing, hey, you know, I gave my all for that day. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I didn't by looking at that video that, hey, this wasn't your all. This was a very bad lap. Like, at least just go correct that. And, yeah. and I made it, I think two grid with 30 seconds left he said you have third when i pulled up he's like you have 30 seconds I'm like sweet <laughs> okay <laughs> so. uh, run it well something that i think is really cool especially at this level is um the community is really strong yeah and you know swenson lives in minnesota and sean lives in north dakota and the guys in canada they live so far away but like our series and this sport is is international effectively yeah. and like it when you come to these events people travel from everywhere and like even if they live 10 states over they're still your really good friends yeah and so like you know sean helping you out and like i I think you probably helped him he struggled this weekend with a bunch of mechanical issues pulled an engine out of his car between two two different heats well and and ronnie (laughs) ronnie loaded it up this morning put it in the van to take it back to prepare it i think for king of the mountain which is coming up as well Yeah, yeah um so you've got some stuff that we won't we won't talk about uh, coming up very soon, yeah. but you'll almost certainly see it on the internet. Yes, yeah, um, we got some cool stuff coming up. What's the next event? Uh, it'd be, I think, Midwest. So okay. I want to I wanna go to Midwest and improve on my track mod record. Um, I want to I don't remember that time. Is what, uh, uh, 26? No. Yeah, 26 is the track mod record. So I want to improve on that. Um, and it would be nice. I know you said it. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it would be nice to improve on the unlimited record as well yeah it's uh will's time has been um kind of a, a real benchmark for yeah. a, a number and, of years and, and that's incredibly fast will is <laughs> he's incredibly well fast, and so. and if you listen to to folks like tom o'gorman uh, talk about gingerman mm-hmm. um you know he'll he'll say that gingerman is kind of a place where the car will run what it runs and there's not a ton um that a driver can do to make a car run faster than that yeah. you know what i mean it's um and so uh, 23 is really, really fast. Uh, do you have strategy for wh- how you're going to approach that track to, s- to try and get the most out of the car? I mean, Will sent me his video, I think, a while back. Um, and so my only strategy would be to just keep watching his video, yeah. you know, um, and just hopefully I can get close. Uh, hopefully it, it, it'll be there. It's, it's tough to say, like, you know, I ran a 26. Um, I'm on Yokohama slicks right now. I don't know if they're the fastest tire I should be on. I haven't done a, a data comparison to see if the A7's faster. Or it, is now, is Yokohama a partner for you? Um, Yokohama has discussed being a partner with okay. me. I don't, we're, as of right now, we're not. Um, but, um, yeah, so I'm, I just happen to have these tires from Superlap. Okay. And these ones, like I said, one of them had eight heat cycles on them. The other one, was, by now, they have another eight on them. So, uh, I think we're we're pretty much dead on tires. So, is there um, another is there another slick option in your size that would also work really well? The A7 would work. It's slightly shorter, but um, I just I don't know. I need to do I need a day with tires and sure. just like find out what what tire suits the car the best, which tire is the fastest tire to be on, and so maybe that would come into play of running faster at, at Gingerman. Um, I'd probably be on Yokohamas, um, you know, and uh, hopefully it's it's the right tire. But um, sure. I think this last session when I went out. I didn't really have the time, and yeah, when we pulled in the engine out of Sean's car, um, that left me with like I think the 30 minutes or something left before getting in the car and running that last lap, um, and I didn't have time to put the the warmers on the tires, and 
I would, cause, well, part of it was I wasn't even thinking about doing it, but sure. um, these Yokohamas need the heat. And when I go out there without them uh, heated up, it's not ideal on the sure. first lap. Uh, the second lap is normally when it, they come in. So I was actually really surprised with how cool it was um, that the, the tires were there. So it was kind of um, interesting, but um, yeah. And so uh, you've got Gingerman, and then uh, a few of us have been pushing you really hard for Road America, which you are going. Yes. But we're, we're trying to set your goals for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Everyone seems to want to set the goals for me. I don't, I don't get it. So uh, a couple years back, James Houghton ran very, very quick at Road America, running a 208. Yeah. And um, given the amount of top speed that you have available, you know, or at least horsepower for top speed that you have available, you know, you wouldn't be surprised to. I, I think a 205 is is well within reach. Um, I mean, the, because I don't know. It, it's been my observation that lap times uh, between Coda and Road America are actually really similar. It's a they completely are. different track, yeah. but the lap times are pretty close. And, um, you know, Cole ran a 206 at Superlap in February. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, 205, I think, is right there. But, I mean, we want to see sub two minutes. Yeah, everybody wants to see <laughs> sub two minutes for some reason, but I don't think it's going to happen. It's kind of like those guys uh, in Street Mod shooting for sub 29 at Gingerman. Yeah. Like, that's a fast, fast, fast time. Yeah, but you guys are saying go from a 31 to a 29. You're saying go from a 208 to a two-minute flat. <laughs> that's massive. Well, uh, you're going to need to increase your top speed. <laughs> and uh, you probably can get some of that by increasing the size of the tire. The, the, the yeah. taller tire will help. Um, you have a really sophisticated ECU now uh, and an ABS unit and whatnot. Like, uh, do you find that those systems are picky with, with mismatch and tire diameters and things? Um, actually, not so much. Um, you know, we, we obviously change it. We can change it in the system and, and tell it what it is. Uh, but um, I actually... And we're back. So we were talking about um, ABS units, and you said that you can kind of program things, and then the car just adapts. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, and and you just you can change it in ABS. You can change it in Motec. Okay. Um, but like, I don't know how. And that's <laughs> the thing that Alex knows how to do. <laughs> yeah. And so like the and the cable to log into to the Bosch Motorsports ABS is like a thousand bucks. And I don't have one of those cables, and I don't know. Well, even hold know. on, hold on. You have a Bosch Motorsports ABS, <laughs> but you can't afford the cable. <laughs> don't, don't even start with me on that. But so I was actually when I did this for the first time at Pikes Peak last two weekends ago, I didn't know what was going to happen, and so I went out on my lap, not changing anything, not changing tire size in trash control, not changing tire size in ABS, and just hoping it doesn't piss it off. And uh, to my surprise, it didn't. Like it. Braking was a little bit, um, it, the pedal was a little harder. Like it was kind of thrown a fit, but sure. it, it was enough for that it, I was able to stop at ease. Um, but even here, same thing. I was like, okay, it works for that lap. Let's hope it works again. And um, I, I feel like TC is just slightly non, not as active, um, but it still will catch me if I need it. And then you know, I, I don't, I didn't even feel. Um, the ABS kicking kicking in at all. Well, that was, so. I guess, kind of an area that you took the lead. Um, a few years back, a lot of the really fast Corvettes were trying to retrofit the Viper ACR tires on because they were so sticky and they were so big. Yeah. And uh, the common complaint was that 
you know, the, the diameter's mismatched, the cars don't like it, mm-hmm. and uh, as a consequence, the brake feel that you get is not very good. It's yeah. not confidence-inspiring. No, no. <laughs> um, as far as I know, you were kind of the first person to, to go after that problem and try and figure out something that worked for you. So originally what we had found, and, I, and this was, I think, when I first tried the Kumos out in Optima years ago, um, Rich Wilhoff was the one who told me um, you have to disconnect your um, steering wheel input sensor. Okay. And that that would disable active handling, which would allow ABS to come back. Now, it did in an autocross setting and a little bit of lighter road course stuff, but once we started to get aero in the car and get a little more serious, um, yeah, the, you would get like crazy hard pedal, which people would describe as ice mode. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's not confidence inspiring at all. And you feel like you're not, the car's not going to stop. And there's been many a times where the car hasn't been able to stop. Um, and so I think uh, my approach was, you know, we still need ABS. And other people's approach, like Jeremy, was like, I don't want ABS. Sure. So Jeremy ditched his ABS completely, um, and which was a very bold thing to do. And, you know, it, it worked for him. Um, I wanted to go that route, but. As I started to imagine what the car was going to be turning into, um, I couldn't see myself not having a panic moment and, sure. and knowing, okay, you can't push harder than this or you lock them up. I, I feel like I would have made a mistake at some point in time. It would have not ended that well. So I saw I wanted to stay with ABS. Um, and so, you know, we tried the MK60. Um, it works great for other Corvettes uh, works great for other platforms. It didn't work for me. I did one event on it, and it was here actually. Um, and we have a picture of me locking up, going into turn two sideways. And it's it, not what you want. It, no, no, it's <laughs> it is, not what you it want. It's my very first laugh. Uh, and so, um, yeah, when I got back from here, I, I I ripped it off the car, and we went with Bosch. And um, it's honestly been the best decision I think I've ever made. Better than anything else I've ever done on the car. Being able to have the confidence in braking knowing your car is gonna stop like that is massive and especially at you know 170 180 miles an hour um at coda i pulled uh, i broke at the 200 mark on the back straight i pulled 2.3 g's under braking that's awesome and i still broke too early well but you had plenty of time to set up for that because you're you were going so fast (laughs) that you were just you were kind of lifting and coasting almost like just to just to maintain your top speed because yeah. you didn't have any gear left. Correct. Yeah. But even so, coming in and you're like, I know how fast I'm going, but we're gonna wait until <laughs> we're at the two, uh, like going downhill. Oh my goodness. It was yeah. So anyway, the the brake package on the car and, and is amazing, and that's what's really confidence inspiring. And and so as far as developing the Kumos to work, um, you know, it seems like it's mainly the factory electronics just didn't like it the, sure you know the factory ecu the factory abs they just didn't play nicely together well kind of coming back to a point that you and i were talking about um half an hour ago you've got big heavy duty components and i think one of the few cars that is similar in that way if you were building a time attack car might be you know a, a, a most recent gen viper acr where yeah. luke was really fast in his but he stayed NA, and if you really wanted to go hard, you almost certainly could, you know, turbocharge that as well. Oh yeah. Um, you know, did you? Are you sticking with Corvette because you think it's the best platform? Or are you doing it because, well, that's that's just what you're used to, and that's. Um, I mean, the Corvette is an extremely well-rounded package, right? Um, it's it's lightweight. It 
it does everything very, very well. And the C6 has been out long enough that there is just so much support for it. Um, the Viper would be an amazing platform to to take. And I think if Luke kept the car and he went that route, there's obviously, you know, Calvin Motorsports builds 3,000 plus horsepower Vipers um, and they get down. And so if, if someone wanted to build, right, uh, and another American car, um, that would do pretty much what you want it to do and, and, and be strong enough to do it all. Yeah, I would say the Viper is it. Well, even you say American car, but I like as far as time attack is concerned, like I'm trying to think of a European option that would have this kind of equipment that will allow you to do this. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are Lamborghinis and things that go on track, and there, there are some that do roll races and go really, really quick. Yeah. But like, this kind of abuse is is really unique. It's a it's a strange environment. I mean, I guess it's going to be budget dependent, right? If sure. you've got enough money to, to build a Lamborghini, you're freaking awesome, dude. <laughs> like that'd be awesome. But I don't I don't think a Viper, right? Building a Viper is 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 too far out of reach, right? For someone with a modest budget, like I, I think you can get um, a newer ACR for, or not even an ACR, just a newer Viper, right? For like fifty, sixty grand. Um, and then, you know, however you dump into it, eventually you'll make it what you want. Yeah. But, um, you know, you're looking at Lamborghinis and stuff. It's just that's it's, it's a lot more. Yeah. So. It's a lot, lot more. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we're a little bit into this. I want to let you get back on your way back to Texas. You've yeah. got some prep to do before you do some traveling again later in the week. Uh, you've got some partners. Uh, where can people find out more about what it is that you do with this car? you have active social accounts? Yeah, I mainly just post everything on Instagram. So at Ferris underscore Cartoomy. Um, that's really where I, I'm most active. Uh, but all my partners are amazing. Um, you know, just as well as anybody else in this, in the motorsports world, like we cannot do what we do without our partners. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been extremely lucky and grateful to have partners that um, believe in my, in what I'm doing and in my program. And, uh, Without them, I couldn't be here this weekend. I couldn't be doing anything well, I'm doing. I, I, I want to say thanks to you as a competitor because uh, you've, you've got uh, really lofty goals, um, but I've never seen you lose your cool on track. I've never seen you lose your cool, uh, cool in the paddock when things aren't going right. You're a good sport, and you're helping people when, when you're helping your buddy Sean when he's got trouble to deal with. You're kind of... Uh, the embodiment of, of what we want the series to be, where we've got people who are here because they really want to be. And, um, you know, even the worst day at the track is still a good day at the track. Yeah. So um, thank you for the support for Grid Life and being on Slip Angle. And uh, travel safe, and I wish you luck this weekend in California. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at Gridlife to say hello. Hello.